Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Gabby. And I'm Sarah. And we are two physical therapy students on our journey to get that DPT debt free. And our vision for you is to get through PT school on your first try without any debt. Join us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. The SPT Secret Society is open for students who are looking to make a massive change in their PT school journey with fellow SPTs from around the world through our three pillars of study habits, personal development, and finances. This is for the motivated SPT ready to take action now because you know PT school is only a couple years long. So what are you waiting for? Click the link right now in the show notes to join us in the SPT Secret Society. And get your first month free by emailing us, ecretsay, E-C-R-E-T-S-A-Y. Looking for a gift for a friend, classmate, professor, co-host of a podcast, or really anyone? Physio Memes got your back with apparel, drinkware, and home decor. And if you go to physiomemes.com, you can get a 20% off coupon with the code gratitude, spelled G-R-A-D-I-T-U-D-E-2020. And don't forget to check out his social media for a good study break laugh. As always, make life humorous. Okay, we are recording. Perfect. Welcome everyone to another episode of Gratitude. And for today's episode, we are really excited to bring our guest today. She is a fellow SPT and we have Jessica on the podcast today. So welcome. And we are so excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I actually haven't told Sarah and Gabby this yet, but they, um, I've been listening to them for, I think, almost three years now. I don't know, since like the very start of the episode and like right when I first started like PT school, the podcast was just starting up. And so I've been kind of this crazy follower for this whole time. And I'm just really excited to like finally come full circle and be on the show. So thanks for having me. Whoa, you crazy <laughs> follower. It's not that crazy. Look, it couldn't have been quite three years, but yes, we've been doing this for two years, Gabby, yeah. two years and two months, but wow. you have most definitely been there from the beginning, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but we're so excited to have you. And for the students who don't know you, you want to tell a little bit about what got you into PT in the first place? Sure. So I actually don't come from a very like athletic background. So my story into PT isn't so much like, you know, I played sports, I hurt myself, I, you know, met a PT and I got super interested in it. So um, it was just something that when I was going to undergrad, I was kind of in between nursing and physical therapy. And depending on what school I would go to is kind of how I ended up. So then once I started observing in multiple settings, I just got, I think I just got really lucky and I fell in love with so much of the variety in the profession with, you know, being in a hospital or in a clinic. And then from there, I went into the classes, fell in love with it. And honestly, I think it was just kind of a match from the get-go. I think I just got really lucky, <laughs> but that's kind of what brought me here. And right now I'm still kind of interested between um, kind of acute care and outpatient orthopedics. That's kind of my world right now. So I'm still deciding between those two. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is interesting. And like you said, it's not one of the um, common stories that you hear. And tell us, how was the application process for you going through that? 
Oh, application process. Whew, that was a journey. <laughs> I um, did all my research with like trying to find, you know, PT so my main priority was I want I'm from California. So I wanted to stay in California. I'm very, very close to my family and all of my friends are here. So I wanted to apply to schools mostly in California. So um, right when I graduated from undergrad, I was kind of, I didn't really have my act together just yet. I feel like I didn't, I didn't know how to study. Um, I didn't have my priorities straight, anything like that. So decided to take a year off, didn't apply to PT schools or anything, decided to just get some work experience, um, did a couple of retook, retook some of my prereqs from there. And then I actually got my master's because I went through this weird stage of I didn't know if I wanted to get a PhD or if I wanted to do PT school and went through the master's program, got some research experience, and then found out that I didn't love it as much as I thought I would, and PT or PhD program probably wouldn't be <laughs> my route. So then uh, got a couple more like um, observation experiences in different PT settings, and then I really confirmed, like, I, I need to work with people. I don't want to be stuck in a lab all day or crunching numbers all day. So that's um, kind of my path. And then I applied very seriously into um, like the PT cast process. And I got accepted actually at a school in Southern California, was set to go, packed my bags, had my classes, had my housing situation. And then two weeks before I was supposed to move down to SoCal, I got a call from my school, uh, Samuel Merritt in Oakland. And that was my first choice school. So I <laughs> canceled everything down there and then ended up staying here in the Bay Area and started school up here at, in Oakland. So it's kind of been a weird journey, but I'm very thankful I took the scenic route and everything just kind of worked out from there. Oh my God, that's so <laughs> crazy. But honestly, I appreciate you sharing that because you know there's so many students. Like the last probably four or six weeks before the semester starts, this is what's going on. You know, people are switching like last minute like oh my god my number one school called like I have to go <laughs> and then a spot opens up down there and then maybe that was someone else's number one school and then people are just like switching all around so it's just nice to hear from you about yeah. the realities of it all um yeah, yeah and now so what are you up to now how were your last clinicals yeah, so right now, so whew, finally a third year PT student. So that's really exciting. Just finished my last didactic semester last week. So I am just so excited about that. So I have my last clinical rotation and I'm going to stay in the Bay Area. Um, I'm going to be at a clinic. It's an outpatient orthopedic clinic and it's a 16 week rotation. Um, really excited about that. I've heard that the clinical instructors there are pretty tough. So. Um, I'm excited for the challenge and to really, you know, get out there with patients again and not just be staring at my books and my iPad all day. <laughs> so it should be exciting. Um, so after those 16 weeks, I'll take my boards and then we'll see where PT world takes me. But right now I'm just kind of, I'm still keeping an open mind. Still not hundred percent sure where I'll end up, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be outpatient ortho or acute care, acute rehab world. We'll see. Yeah. That's really crazy how I feel like just first year, first semester to third year, it goes by so fast. And now you're done with didactic and it's such a great feeling for any of you who are done with didactic or you're still in classes. It's kind of a like relief, but it's bittersweet because you're done in the classroom and now moving on to clinicals. And it is an exciting time because now you'll be in the clinic full time. 
and tell us a little bit about, I know you said you just got off a clinical rotation as well. Um, so tell us more about that. So over the summer was kind of this crazy time with COVID. And so, you know, I'm sure a bunch of students can also relate that every single pan, every single clinical site was shutting down. And so um, we were kind of up in the air with where we were going to go for our placements. But um, so my first one, no, my first two, rota- my first two rotations actually got canceled. So I was kind of in limbo knowing where I was going to go. But I ended up going to an acute care hospital kind of out of the area in Central California. And I did nine, supposed to be 10 weeks. And I think it got cut down to nine. So I did nine weeks at an acute care hospital down in Central California, which was unexpected, but an incredible experience. So I really fell in love with acute care there. So that's kind of why I'm all wishy-washy with where I want to end up. (laughs) That makes it hard. Darn falling in love with many settings. (laughs) It's the beauty of PT, but also the hard part because you're trying to figure out what do you even want to do? And you saw, let's get into your special case here. And I know that you had this conversation before and we want to start this again because many students right now are feeling first of all like they're not capable when they head into clinicals because you haven't had all your in-person labs right right second of all like you said maybe aren't sure where they're going to go third of all once they get there how do they effectively treat the people in front of them especially when you're treating potentially post-covid patients or active covid patients and of course we've never seen or, you know, heard of how to best treat those patients in the classroom. And that's a very long-winded question, but let's get into your case and your experience in your last clinical. Yeah, definitely. I can 100% relate with like not feeling capable or just having this, you know, like imposter syndrome. But, um, and that really came into play with this. So this past summer, I, like I said, I went to Central California for an acute care rotation. And I was at a county trauma hospital down there and I didn't have any family. I didn't know anyone. And I honestly didn't know that I was going to be working in a hospital where they had um, COVID patients who were COVID positive. So this hospital is a big safety net hospital. So it treats, like I said, COVID, um, like it has its own COVID ward in the critical care unit in med surge, but it's known for treating patients who, you know, they don't have insurance. They may be undocumented. They're non-English speaking. And it's a big agricultural Hispanic population down there. So um, it was an interesting experience because I've observed in the acute care setting, but so it was a little familiar to me, but it was a new adventure because now I was going into these rooms, you know, by myself. So um, this particular patient that we were going to talk about was, um, I think I worked with her. I think it was halfway through my rotation or a little bit later. And my CI had, you know, we were doing chart reviews and he was like, hey, do you want to, you need some help going into this patient room or do you want me to go with you? Um, Or do you want me to go with you or do you feel comfortable going in on your own? And I was like, "Eh, I think at this point, like I'm starting to feel a little bit more capable. I'm starting to have a little bit more confidence. And then you have that voice in the back of your head saying, maybe not, you don't really know. (laughs) So um, I told him I felt comfortable at this point going into these COVID rooms by myself. Um, also, it's, it was just kind of um, a difficult time around here because going into these rooms with um, additional staff always puts, you know, additional, there's always additional risk of exposure. So I figured, you know, I know what to do. I know the emergency protocol. I know how to don and doff PPE and we already have a shortage. 
So I feel comfortable going into these rooms by myself. If I need any help, I'll, you know, I'll call you. If I feel like I'm not capable or if I feel like I need any assistance, I can, you know, call and help you out. But that's pretty much where I was at from that point. And so, um, so the patient that I was going to work with was um, not an eval. This was going to be a follow-up appointment. And so she was um, a 71-year-old woman. She was Spanish-speaking, and she was diagnosed with uh, diagnosed with COVID twice. And she didn't have like the typical COVID symptoms: no shortness of breath, no cough, um, none of that really. She also like seemed like a straightforward case, except for the fact that um, she was mintomata cyst. That's what they were saying, and she just fell like she was at home and she fell at home and she couldn't get back up, they called the ambulance and they brought her in. So when my CI said, you know, like this looks like a pretty straightforward case, are you sure you're good? And I said, yeah, no, I feel pretty good about this whole thing, like I think I'll be fine. So I go into the room and I'm starting to get to know her and you know, you start having that like questioning in your head and you're like trying to fight with yourself back and forth, like, oh, I got this, no, I don't, yes, I do, no, I don't. And so <laughs> at this point I was feeling confident, I was at that stage where you know, I felt pretty good about the whole thing. Um, so I go into the room and I start to get to know the patient and she's only Spanish speaking. And so when I start to speak with her and I'm going, and I'm, you know, starting to introduce myself, she like tells me she's so thankful to have, you know, a therapist who um, is able to communicate her, with her in, in Spanish. And um, at this point, I already knew that, you know, like the translator phones in this area were kind of finicky. And so um, and in this COVID ward unit. So I took my, the opportunity to be able to, I speak Spanish. I come from a Hispanic household and I communicated with her in that way. And so I talked to her and she, you know, got to know her. She was super pleasant, really sweet. And so I told her, you know, like, I'm thinking that we're going to get up and we're going to start, um, doing some physical therapy. Let's get you out of this bed. And, um, she's like, Oh yeah, we, we'll see about that. Like I'm pretty weak. I can't really do much. And you're kind of small and I don't know what we're going to do about this. And I was like, Oh, okay, well we'll do what we can. So I start to work with her and the initial eval from the evaluating physical therapist says that she's like min to modest that she is not motivated. Like she, it's kind of hard to say. So the therapist was like, I'm not sure if there's a motivation issue or if, you know, if, she's nervous or if she's apprehensive about what's going on, but I think you might have an issue with kind of getting her up and going. And I was like, oh, okay. So she kind of had that hesitation when I met her also. And I told her like, you know, you were able to take a few steps with the therapist yesterday. Do you want to maybe try taking a couple steps with me today? And she was like, no, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really feeling it today. Like, I think I'm getting just weaker and weaker. Like I'm not able to do this today. And plus you're too small and you're a woman, you shouldn't be lifting this heavy anyway. Like, absolutely not. And so this is something that I'm very used to hearing, like from my Hispanic family. Um, like you should, women shouldn't be lifting heavy. They shouldn't be, you know, out of the house. They shouldn't be, you know, working instead of just being home. So this is something I was very, I'm very used to hearing from my own family and my own background. So I had to really be strategic with this woman. So just because I know that this is a cultural norm, this is a cultural standard. So I start working with her and I'm telling her, well, you know, let, let's compromise. If you don't want to walk, let's see if we can get you to the edge of the bed and we can, you know, start um, doing some exercises. Like, let's just get your legs moving. Let's get that blood pumping. She goes, okay, yeah, definitely. And it's odd because now she's kind of playing this back and forth of, 
like I'm motivated. I want to get up and out of bed. I'm tired of being in this room all day, but I'm nervous to start moving and I'm not sure if I'm able to get up. So this is the first moment when I'm starting, you know, having that self-doubt as a student, like, is there something going on here? This presentation that I'm seeing right now is very different from what the very experienced physical therapist who did the eval um, stated. This is not something like maybe she's pulling my leg and this isn't something to be, you know, pushing too much. So, you know, I start working with her. I put the, I push those thoughts aside, you know, I'm like, yes, I'm a student, but I've been doing this for a while. Like, I think I, we're, we're just going to start doing with what we can here. And so I start working with her and she, I start noticing these weird movement patterns. And you know how like in PT school, all of our professors are like, we're teaching you the normal so that when you see abnormal, you know what it looks like, right? Like we hear that all the time. And so I start seeing like these really weird movement patterns. I'm like, I think this is not normal, but the physical therapist said that she's probably weak. So mm, I'm just going to keep doing what I can. So, you know, I'm testing her in different positions and I'm trying to, you know, be creative with what we're doing. And I'm trying to understand her, her, her own narrative. She, you know, she comes from a large Hispanic household, almost everyone in the house. I think like four of the six people, I think in her household had actually tested positive for COVID. And so she was very, very active in the household. She was very active in her Catholic church. She does all the cooking, all the cleaning. She takes care of the grandchildren. So she's very, very active. So the admitting diagnosis um, said that she fell, which is exactly what she said, that she fell due to severe deconditioning because of COVID. And so I was like, huh, well, okay, let's, let's see how much the story matches up. So I get to know her and she's telling me, I get her at the edge of the bed at this point and I'm thinking, okay, this is her trunk control and I'm going to have her reaching and feeding and all of this. So she's saying that, you know, she's explaining to me, like, I'm very active. I never stopped moving. Even when, you know, I got diagnosed with COVID, um, I never stopped. And I'm like, hmm, interesting because it said that you're deconditioned. So I think you have had to, you know, stopped a little bit in order to, you know, have the, the issue where you fell and you weren't able to get back up. Also important to note was that she was over 250 pounds and I believe she was 5'3 or 5'4. So she was, and I was in the room by myself. So being able to give assist was a lot more challenging. And um, I figured, you know, she was able to work with the therapist yesterday. I think it's going to be okay. So I'm getting to understand her narrative. I, you know, she's very involved in the Catholic church. She does a lot around the house, even when she was diagnosed with COVID. Um, she was still getting up and moving. Like that doesn't sound like deconditioning. So I start trying to get her to do exercises and I try to get her to stand off, you know, with the walker and everything. And she's like, nope, can't do it. Like I'm just getting weaker and weaker. Like Miha, don't worry. Like this is not something that you can do. Don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm trying to connect all of these exercises to her story. I'm trying to connect it to something that she loves to do, all these um, activities in her community and her household to try to get her motivated. And she says that she wants to get up, but she's not really putting in that effort. So I'm like, okay, this probably isn't the time for me to, you know, preach about exercise and how, you know, we need to create goals for her. And so I'm like, let me just really understand what's going on here. Like maybe, like, I feel like one thing I can do for, that I do really well as a student is that I can get a pretty good history. I think all of us, you know, in school, we're taught how to get a good subjective and how to ask the right questions and how to understand irritability and all of this. So um, I just wanted to get a little bit more information on the sequence of events and the behavior of symptoms. 
So I asked her and I was like, so, you know, you've been in the hospital for a few days. Like what exactly brought you in? Like you said, you were super active and you were feeling fine and you didn't have the COVID symptoms. So what's, what, what brought you in exactly? And she goes, well, I'm strong. And all of a sudden I just, I'm getting really weak out of nowhere. Like, okay, but tell me exactly how this weakness happened. When did this first start? Tell me about that. She goes, well, like three or four days ago, I started feeling really weak. Like I just a little weak, like, you know, I was trying to lift up a pot or I was trying to, you know, move around my house and pick up the grandkids from the floor. And I just felt a little tired. And I was like, okay, well, that's typical COVID, you know, more of the fatigue and, you know, all of that. And she says, day two, I started feeling like this tingling and my fingers and toes. And I had to really like hold onto the furniture to walk around. And I was like, after one day, like, that's weird. You don't, you don't really get that week after one day. And then the third day she said that she was on her way to the restroom and she fell and then she couldn't get back up. And so, and, you know, I was thinking like, okay, well maybe she's not used to being on the floor and she's not used to, you know, standing up on her own. And, um, she's like, no, but I play with my grandkids on the floor. I can get myself back up. It's just my kids, like the four kids that were in the house, everyone tried helping me and I couldn't. And I had just collapsed at that point. I just felt like my weakness had gotten so much worse. So I think, I don't know. I just, I just got weak. I don't know what's going on. So, you know, I get this history and I go back to my CI and, you know, I'm done for the day, done working with her and, you know, I help her back to bed and everything. And so I go to my CI and he's like, so how'd everything go? And he's like, well, you know, I, I think it was okay, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, there's something off and I'm not sure what's going on. He's like, you know, what do you mean? I was like, well, she's really weak. He was like, yeah, she was deconditioned. Of course she's going to be weak. I'm like, but it doesn't seem like typical weakness. And then I go and I talk to the evaluating therapist and I try to get an understanding like another S-bar. And I'm like, you know, like she, was she hesitant to get up and walk? Like when you, I mean, I read that you took five steps with her. Like, was she hesitant to get up and move? And he goes, yeah, a little bit. I think she's just a little apprehensive. I think she's just honestly scared. Like she fell. She doesn't want to fall again. Just like, this is very typical from patients who are deconditioned. This is a, this is a presentation you're going to see every day here in the hospital. I'm like, mm. okay. So then you start getting that, you know, questioning in your head again as a student, like, okay, well, the whole team is telling me that this is very common, but I still have this like gut feeling that something else is going on here. So I type up my note, I write all this information in, you know, my documentation and I go into the room with her again the next day. So I go in the second time and she's really sweet. She's, you know, still really happy to see me, but she's very straightforward with saying like, no, I don't want to do anything today. I'm like, well, what's going on? And she's like, well, I'm just frustrated. I'm like frustrated with like the weakness or, you know, the service, like what's going on? She goes, no, I'm just frustrated with like the medical team and the nursing staff. Like all night, I felt like I was pressing the call light. No one was coming no one was, you know, listening to me. I've been having a hard time moving. Like I can't even move my arms and my legs. And I just feel like a lot weaker. And then I was reflecting back on, you know, the, 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 the note from that morning. Cause I did the chart review and I remember seeing this note from, you know, the nursing staff overnight it was like this nursing narrative note. And I remember seeing like patient is, oh, what was, what was the term? It was like, Patient is completely unwilling to assist with repositioning, uses call light excessively. And it was just something really offhanded. And I was like, what in the world? Like, I've never seen something like this. Like, this is just rude and unprofessional. Like, this is odd. Like, I don't know if they were having a bad day or what was going on. But I felt frustrated because I remember, you know, talking to the patient the night before. And she was saying, 
um, that she was motivated, that she appreciates the medical team. She knows how everyone is so, you know, their schedules are all booked up and there's so many patients in the hospital. And so she was very thankful for everybody coming in. And so she was just giving me a totally different story today. So I was like, oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Let me all go talk to the team afterwards about this, but let's see what we can do today. She goes, I don't know. I'm a lot worse today. Like, I just feel really weak. I can't even move my hands. But she would do this really weird movement pattern. Like, it seemed like she was like initiating her movement from her shoulder to like, when I told her to like reach for the bed rails, like with her fingers to like, you know, finger flexion to grab and to pull. She was like initiating the movement from like her shoulder girdle. It was very odd. And same thing with like her lower extremities. Like I would have her try to bend her legs to, to roll. And she was doing something so strange. And I was just not used to seeing that. And this was a very different like behavior movement pattern than what I'd seen the day before. And so I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is like an issue of her being nervous. I don't know if this is an issue of like, she didn't get sleep and she's grumpy. I don't know if this is just, she's actually getting weaker. I'm not really sure. So I'm like, okay, let's try to get to know her a little bit better. So, um, I already know about that. She loves going to mass, that she is very faithful. She, she prays a lot. She's over here asking me like, Mia, do you have children? Like you, you gotta have children. Like <laughs> you, you, you know, this is a very, uh, <laughs> cultural thing that if I don't have children very soon, then for my husband and yada, 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 I'm like, Oh God. So let me entertain this. <laughs> So, um, so I'm trying to build rapport with her and I'm letting her, you know, talk to me and just, you know, try to school me on all of this information. And I'm um, like, yeah, you know, like I'm thinking about it, blah, 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 blah. So I start building rapport. She's a lot more, she's in a much, she has a much uh, happier demeanor, I guess. And so um, I'm like, okay, well, what if we try, you know, listening to mass? Like, what if we set up your phone? You're in here by yourself. You really have like no cognitive stimulation at all. Like, what if we set up mass on your phone? And she's like, oh yeah, we can do that. And like, she was telling me that she prays the rosary in her room and I've seen her with the rosary beads, like in the room. And I was like, what if we, you know, start working on your fine motor control to um, be able to move to each bead? And she's like, yeah, let's do that. And so when I would start doing those activities with her and I'm like, oh, and another one was trying to get her to sit to stand because that's what you have to do in church. You do a lot of sitting, a lot of standing, you got a lot of transitions. So I'm like, okay, I can make this PT related. And the day before in my note, I made recommendations for OT and SLP. And so that order was never put in. I'm like, great, it's because I'm a student. Everyone thinks that I'm asking for too much. So, um, so I'm like, okay, let me try doing some fine motor control stuff with her. Let me put her in a better position so that she can eat because she also mentioned that she wasn't swallowing very well the day before when she was giving her food. And I was like, okay, this is odd. And her voice quality at this point is a little bit different. Like she's a little bit more scratchy. She's having a little bit more saliva. And so I'm like, there's just something odd here. So let me see if I can, I'm not an SLP. I'm not OT. I don't know anything about what they do, but let me see if I can get a little creative. So I started creating like some fine motor control exercises, start challenging her trunk control in bed. And just doing things that, you know, are salient to her, you know, I think as PTs or student PTs, like if we are able to get a good history and we're able to get a good subjective, then we can kind of um, persuade our patients to do physical therapy type things without actually calling it physical therapy, you know. So she's starting to try these activities and she's like, no, she's getting frustrated, like visibly frustrated at this point. She's like, I can't do it. You know, like, I'm sorry, like, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. I'm like, like am I not building rapport right like I thought you know I thought we had I thought she had been trusting me at the by this point and so 
I was like, you know, well, something's still not right. Let me see if I can do maybe like a neuro exam. So I'm doing, you know, dermatomes, myotomes. I don't have my reflex hammer with me. So I'm like, we can get DTRs in a little bit, but let me see if I can do like a full physical exam. And so at this point, you know, this is early COVID times and um, we had PPE shortages in this hospital because it's, you know, we don't have very good resources in this area um, and it's severely underfunded really. And so a lot of physical exams were being bypassed on some patients with COVID if they weren't showing very critical symptoms. Like if the patients needed a full, full physical exam because they were in critical condition, they would get that physical exam. But since she seemed like a straightforward case, she didn't have shortness of breath, she wasn't decompensating, no cough, um, she just fell and couldn't get back up. Um, they thought like, eh, this is pretty straightforward. I don't think we need to risk transmission and risk using excessive PPE. So I'm like, oh shoot, like they never even saw this. If they saw this, I think that there would be something more significant here. So I do a full neuro exam and I take notes on like um, the whiteboard. So, because we can't really take things in and out. So I'm trying to take notes of everything and her findings are all over the board. So I'm like, I don't know about this. And you know, again, you start having that self-doubt as a student because every time you practice, you know, all of these tests and measures in school, you're testing them on your classmates who, you know, everything is perfect. <laughs> all these MMTs and myotomes, whatever, like everything is very like five out of five. So I'm working with her and I'm getting all these strange numbers. I'm like, I don't know. So I go back to, you know, the office and my CI again was like, okay, so how was everything today? And I was like, she's a lot weaker. There's something going on here. Like, I don't think this is a motivation issue anymore. Like is, I don't know if it's a cultural thing because she's scared of hurting me and you know, I'm a female and she, maybe she wants the male in the room. And you know, you, I was like, would you mind just going with me next time we go in there? And he's like, yeah. And so I discussed my findings with him and he goes, yeah, maybe there's something going on, but like, I honestly would be too worried. Jess, we see a lot of patients who are deconditioned. Like this is very typical. And I'm like, okay. So then I remember, you know, those Facebook groups that like have like thousands of physical therapists on them. So months before, or a couple of weeks before, I remember seeing um, a thread that was saying something about, is anyone seeing like neurological complications coming up with patients um, with COVID? And there was a whole thread of other therapists who were saying that they were finding patients with Guillain-Barre type symptoms. I'm like, okay, well, this is, I remember, like, it was like a faint, faint memory. And I remember just like scrolling through it. Like I got a notification and I, and I scrolled through it and I remember this and I was like, maybe this is, maybe what this lady has is some kind of neurological complication from COVID. Like that's a stretch. I don't know. Like I, I haven't seen very much. I've never worked with anyone with, in it. like, I've never even worked in a neuro setting. So maybe there's just something going on here. So um, I find that thread and I'm starting to read what they're saying on the thread. I'm like, oh shoot, like this sounds a lot like what she, what my patient has. So then at that point I start doing, you know, a PubMed search and I start looking for anything like neurological, something COVID because I, her movement patterns just didn't look like deconditioning and like the way that she was kind of flinging her limbs to be able to get to the position she needed to get to didn't look like plain deconditioning. It kind of looked like a, like a spinal cord injury um, technique to try to get over, like, you know, where they're hooking with their elbows or when they're using their like protraction to try to roll over. So, so it just seemed odd. So then I start doing this PubMed search and I start seeing the Guillain-Barre um, come up with COVID complications again. I'm like, okay, so maybe this is something I need to look into. So I start reading these case reports from out of the country at this point and their narrative and the subjective reports sound a lot like my patient. 
you know, the numbness and tingling, the dramatic um, muscular decline, like the coordination, her autonomic nervous system was starting to show impairments. All of this started to like started to match. And I was like, shoot, like I've never even worked with someone with Guillain-Barre. Like I don't even know what this looks like. <laughs> and so um, I remember in class, like we've had YouTube videos and we've had links and we've had um, just resources. Like if you do work with this population and I start looking through these notes and I'm like, this, yeah, these, these movement patterns sound really, really similar. So, you know, I, I'm really excited at this time, at this point, like really like anxious. And I'm like, shoot, like I'm a student. I don't know if I'm overreacting. This is, I, I don't know, like this, this might just be plain deconditioning and I'm calling this like GBS potential COVID complication. I'm like, uh, okay, Jessica, relax. So I go into work the next day and I, my CI is making the schedule. So he's there early. And I'm there like an hour before I'm supposed to get there. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm pretty sure, like, I know it's like, I, I think this lady has something beyond deconditioning. Like, um, I told him about the case reports and I was like, can we please go into her room? Like before anyone else, like, I really want to do these tests before grand rounds start happening. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, we can go, but we cannot go before the, before, you know, the schedule or at the start of the day, cause we don't want to risk transmission at that point. That was the protocol. Typically we would save the COVID rooms for the end of the day. Uh, yeah, I was like, okay, fine. Like, and so, but he said, you know, but we can see if we can like lighten our course load and see if, um, or lighten our workload for the day so that we can get to her sooner. And so I check her chart and there's nothing updated in there except for maybe one nursing narrative note, which is the same guy saying the exact same thing again. And I'm just like frustrated because at this point it's just like, okay, so everyone thinks she's deconditioned now with these nursing narrative notes everyone thinks that she's like unmotivated or lazy and she's inconvenient because she's in a covid room you have to put all you have to put all this ppe on she's a larger woman and so it's kind of hard like you have to put a lot more effort to for rolling or for transitions to, to stand anything it's a lot of work and then when these nurses have you know five six seven patients on their plate like it's really challenging to go into these rooms so now they're just thinking this woman's faking it and they're just trying to get her to go home so I'm getting these calls from the, the case management team and they're just saying, you know, she's ready. Like what kind of, <laughs> what kind of DME does she need? Where sh should she discharge to SNSH? Should she discharge to home? And I'm like, no, I don't think she's ready to discharge. So I'm fighting with this social worker who is, you know, very experienced. She knows what she's doing. I'm going against a well-established medical team who knows what they're doing. I'm kind of saying the opposite of what this nurse is saying. And I'm, you know, as a student, I'm kind of challenging this and I'm kind of going back and forth with my own, with my own, um, with my own head. Like, are you overreacting? Like you're going to make yourself look like a dummy. Like just, you know, go with what the experienced clinicians are saying. So I put that all aside and, you know, go on with my day and I'm like checking with my CI, like, okay, it's almost noon. Like, do you mind if we go soon? He goes, okay, yeah, go do a chart review really quickly. See if there's anything updated in the chart and um, we can go in just a moment. So I check the documentation or I check the notes and I see that a neurology order had been placed in finally. Still no OT, no SLP, <laughs> mind you, but they put in a neurology note and it says, you know, um, they were quoting directly the notes from my documentation. And so they were recommending like patient is um, appropriate for a full physical exam. We need to run more extensive labs. Um, necessitates a lumbar puncture. Presentation is consistent with Guillain-Barre induced by COVID. And I'm like, Oh, shoot. So as a student, like they actually read my note. They actually looked at what I typed up. They actually, you know, finally started considering potentially that a student might've found something odd and they took my word for it. So she ended up getting that, um, 
so I read this and I was super stoked in my CI was like, Jess, you got to calm down. Like every rightfully so you have every right to feel this way, but, um, like just relax. And I'm like, well, you know, like I'm excited. Like I'm happy that she's finally getting the care that she needs, but like, I mean, I kind of hope it's not this, but I just really appreciate that the medical team finally listened to a student and I should have gone with my gut, even though I'm a student physical therapist and, you know, I'm speaking to these highly esteemed doctors and experienced nurses and even experienced physical therapists. Like my, my uh, evaluation still holds some value to this team and to this patient because I listened to her and I gave her the benefit of the doubt and, you know, tried to connect with her and understand her story. So, you know, we weren't able to see her that day because she was getting her lumbar puncture and we can't go back in the room, but um, it was just very eye-opening to really see what's going on in these hospitals now, especially that family members aren't able to go in there and advocate for their family. And going in there as a student who is able to connect with these patients who may not be able to speak English and do not have, you know, the resources do not, are not used to this hospital setting and they don't really know the usual flow in this setting and that a student was able to advocate on their behalf in order to make a really big change and help them to get the medical care that they really deserve. And so that was, uh, that was just a very eye-opening experience and I just can't help but wonder like how many patients there are who are under these situations and it really got me fired up to really get the story out there and just I know a lot of us as students just get very nervous to challenge you know challenge or we have this imposter syndrome you know we don't know if what we don't we never think that we're equipped with the tools enough for PT school we're never really thinking that we know we have all the tools to be able to help these patients and I think you know if we're coming from like a biopsychosocial approach and really being holistic and being human beings and listening to our patients then I think we can honestly make a really big change. So that's kind of what happened there. Um, it was an interesting case for sure. And sh everything ended up being a really happy ending. I, uh, <laughs> my CI actually got, uh, after several weeks, she already started on immunoglobulin, intravenous immunoglobulin therapy. Ah, that's a tongue twister. Intravenous immunoglobulin therapy. She uh, got put on IVIG and she uh, progressed so well. Like I think at the end of two weeks, um, she responded really, really well to it. And we got her to finally stand up and, you know, she was crying and then I left the room and I was crying and I was just kind of a mess. So it ended up being a really, really happy ending. And then um, fortunately, but unfortunately, she was discharged to acute rehab facility, but I never got to say goodbye. But I think one of those moments was um, it was very gratifying to feel validated almost as a student. And that, you know, we really do have the tools to be great clinicians. And even though we may not have this, you know, clinical experience in our back pocket, like we are, we have the tools to do well and to actually make a change in whatever setting we choose to go in. So that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> All I have to say is, wow, I have no words, but I think the key themes in there, definitely advocating for your patients and Although we're students, go with your gut because that is also very, you know, relevant. And you you did all of your exams, you talked to your patient and you're you're thinking something's not right. And you went with that and the medical team saw it and, you know, they got the care that she needed because what if it would have been too late? Um, and that could have been a 
you know, bad outcome um, and an alternative, but it just goes to show like student physical therapists and students in medical school or any other graduate professional programs, like we know our stuff. And it also shows the medical team like, Hey, you know, don't just disregard students. You know, they, they know um, what they're talking about and like, at least look into it. Don't just brush it off and say, Oh, like their notes are, don't matter. So I think that's just so important. And, uh, that was, that's an incredible story. Like I've never heard anything like that before. Sarah. (laughs) Sarah, Oh my God. (laughs) So I have a few questions, a few follow-up questions. One for the students who are listening and like, wait, what is GBS? Do you want to just touch on that briefly? Yeah. So Guillain, so GBS stands for Guillain-Barre syndrome or Guillain-Barre, is it syndrome? Guillain-Barre syndrome. And essentially it's this neurological disorder where you develop like almost, you start developing partial paralysis throughout your body until you gain, you start getting full paralysis throughout your entire body to, to the point where it starts affecting your diaphragm. And if it progresses to this point, then potentially the patient is put on a ventilator. So this rapid decline of muscular strength is something that needs to be brought on right away. And if anyone would have really listened to her story and like me, I, like, I'm not familiar with this diagnosis, but some of the key themes that were in her presentation from the subjective that no one listened to one, because she was only Spanish speaking and no one got a transitor phone and people weren't going to the rooms to get a full physical exam. Typical signs and symptoms are the tingling and the fingers and toes. Like that is in the fingers and toes. That is very typical of Guillain-Barre. The rapid decline of muscular fun or mus- uh, rapid muscular decline is also very common. Um, this, uh, the, the mechanism for why they come into the hospital of they fell and they weren't able to get back up after is also very common. And uh, thankfully, once patients are put on IVIG, they usually, they typically recover pretty well. It does take a while, but that is what Guillain-Barre in a nutshell is. And so it was interesting because it kind of blended together Guillain, like a deconditioning from COVID because it did seem like she was just weak and she fell and she couldn't get back up. But since no one was able to hear those key points of like numbness, uh, tingling in the fingers and toes and needing to hold onto the walls to walk around and um, also autonomic function going down. So this patient, her speech, every single time I would meet with her, the quality of her speech was going down quite a bit to the point where she wasn't able to swallow and they had just given her a suction tube to just suction whatever saliva she had instead of, you know, taking the SLP order and putting that order in so she can, you know, start working on her swallowing abilities and speaking. And that's also very typical. She wasn't able to go to the restroom independently at all. Even with the catheter, she was just not able to void at all. And that's also very typical of Guillain-Barre. And so these were just kind of very common signs and symptoms that you would see for anyone. So just piecing the puzzle together. I don't know if I just happened to get lucky or what happened, but I don't know what made me go do that pub PubMed search to find that it was Guillain-Barre, but that's essentially in a nutshell what it is and what matched up with her specific case. And for, so I'm curious, do you know, because I obviously did not do the PubMed search, but do you know, how does COVID, and of course we don't know everything about COVID now, so anything we're saying now today, guys, this is December 2020. <laughs> Everyone's still figuring stuff out. But what is the research saying so far about like the link between how COVID kind of can lead to uh, a complication of GBS? So from my understanding, COVID-19, everyone thinks of like the lungs and, you know, the coughing and the shortness of breath. But COVID in a nutshell is like an inflammatory 
disorder. Like you're causing inflammation of just every single system in your body. And so this inflammation, this uh, caused by a virus is typically what causes GBS normally. And since, and just from like normal pre-COVID, like that's what's normal. If you have some kind of inflammatory process going on from a virus, you are more susceptible to develop Guillain-Barre. And since COVID is more of an inflammatory disorder to just systemically, that also is making people more prone to developing beyond beret. And so that's kind of what's happening right now. And now that this is months later, if you actually start looking in the literature, this is much more common now. And we're seeing this all of like all over the United States now. This is, and the reason actually that uh, I decided to come forward with this story was I wrote this as a journal article, like a journal for one of my professional issues courses. And, you know, I just thought this was something interesting to write about for a class assignment. And so my professor, she, her name is Dr. Rusher, and she reached out to me and was like, Jess, like, you need to get this story out there. This is important. Like, not only are there healthcare disparities and inequities that are need to be highlighted in this story, but this is really important information, like, from a clinical perspective. And I'm like, oh, clinically, like, I, I don't really have the details of this. You know, I'm a, again, I'm a student. And she was like, no, like, I think you need to get this out there. So I kind of brushed it aside and, you know, I'm not a public speaker. Like I'm nervous to get things out there. Like I'm not trying to publish a case re case report or anything right now. And then a little bit later, she, um, in our neuro course, we had a professor, Dr. Claudel, and he um, has a specialty in electrodiagnostics. And so he works in a, in a different hospital in California. And he is actually a specialized in this. And he is actually writing case report. And he mentioned in class that he is writing He's working on two case reports for patients who had developed Guillain-Barre type symptoms after developing COVID. And he mentioned this in class and he said, if anyone during the rotations or anyone in their profession starts to see this, please get the word out there. This is very important. This is something that we're starting to see. We don't understand COVID, but we're starting to see this as a trend. Please get this out there. And that same professor, Dr. Rusher, messages me like on Zoom and she's like, Jess, I told you, get this out there. So I set up a meeting with that professor and I'm like, hey, like, I'm not really sure where to go with this. And that's when I reached out to Sarah and Gabby and I was like, hey, like, I don't really know where to go with this story, but I think it's important to get out there. So if students are going out on their, you know, acute care clinicals or even outpatient or anything, and you start seeing this kind of presentation and just, you know, go with your gut and question what is happening and know that this is becoming more common now with this population who is recovering from COVID. It is so crucial, guys, <laughs> for real. And the thing is, this isn't the only complication, right? There's so many complications. And I know just speaking briefly from my experience in inpatient for my last rotation, we were seeing a lot of young people, 30s and 40s, very few comorbidities coming in post-COVID because they had a stroke. Yep. because of how COVID affects your blood clotting factors. And so it's so different for everybody, right? And we're not here to try to scare the world, but we're here to spread awareness about what like could be possible. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, I think once you're going into these rooms and I know COVID, I think all this stuff is kind of, you know, it's, there's a lot of uncertainty with it. Right. And I think if we just, you know, step back and remember as students, you know, yes, we're in our books. Yes, we're tired of studying. Yes, we just want to get out there. But I think we just need to remember again, why did we choose to go into this profession? Who are the patients that we want to advocate for? And what do we want to accomplish being in this profession? And I think if you're coming from this, and if you're coming to the medical team with something that you just don't, that is not sitting right with you, and you're able to come from 
a place of, you know, being humble and not trying to boast like, hey, I think it's this and the whole medical team is going against me. Like, no, I think we need to be strategic and how we're, you know, communicating with the team and really being part of the team and reflecting on, you know, how we handled previous situations that I think that's going to make us incredible physical therapists. And I think those are tools that we start having as students and that we can continue to build on. But I just really hope, I mean, from, I will speak for me personally, but like you kind of get dazed and there's this potential for burnout going into the real world and, um, you know, just the typical day-to-day -day PT activity. So I think we just need to continue to, you know, advocate for our patients, remember why we're going into this profession and, you know, come from a place of humility and wanting to genuinely understand and connect with people. And I think that if we're using those as like our guiding principles and, you know, this profession's just going to get so much stronger and we're going to get through this crazy pandemic and all these uncertainties, you know, with a lot more understanding of what's going on. But I think us as students, we do have, we have the potential to contribute to this medical team. hundred percent. And you are, you're totally right. And actually I had a question because I know some programs don't allow their students to see COVID patients. So did you have to sign a form or what was that process? Did your program um, like allow you to do that? Yeah, so that was actually an interesting uh, thing. So I didn't know I was going to be working in this uh, COVID unit of the hospital. It's I got there and um, they're like, hey, you know, we treat a lot of COVID patients. Um, we're gonna have those, you know, they didn't put them all on my schedule. It wasn't one of those. They were like, if you feel comfortable, then you can go. But um, I'm not sure if my school knew about this before placing me there. And this was, like I said, it was out of the area. So um, I was about four-ish, four or five-ish hours away from home. So I even told my husband like, hey, like whenever, cause I'm married. And so he stayed in the Bay Area cause he can't move for work. So um, I was like, you know, on weekends, like some weekends come down, we can hang out, whatever. Um, and then once I found out that I was gonna be working with COVID patients, it was just kind of everything was kind of thrown out the window. And so I even messaged my program director and was like, hey, you know, once we go back to school, because we saw like five weeks for the end of the semester, once we go back to school, you know, I won't be on campus because I need to quarantine just in case because I've been in these rooms. And they're like, yes, absolutely. Um, and so I think that's when they found out that I was going to be in these rooms. I'm not sure if it was something that was predetermined beforehand. So there was no, you know, waiver or anything like that at that time. Since then, because um, I know our school um, has also nursing students, OT, podiatry, PA. And so since then, I think now we're not actually having students go into these rooms. But um, yeah, I, I don't think they're allowing students to go into these rooms at all. So it was just something that was not predetermined, to be honest. It was something that was very unexpected. And I think on like day one is when I found this out. And then I reached out to my program and family and told everyone like, hey, this is what's going on. I'm okay with this because I think this is an, a this is a very real experience. I'm going to be graduating in a year and I might be working in these settings. Like I would like to learn um, as long as I'm doing this safely and I have the PPE that I need. Um, I feel okay going into these rooms. So that wasn't something that was predetermined, Gabby. If it was just kind of, <laughs> it kind of worked out that way. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's really good. Just getting the experience of it and to say, you know, you have worked with COVID patients and you've been able to provide that care and um, really just you know, not a lot of, I don't know of a lot of students who are actively, you know, going into COVID rooms unless they're pre-approved or there's a, enough PPE. So that just sheds a light and um, just really brings your experience, um, makes it 
more real. And especially if you are thinking about going into this setting as well, because we know right now, uh, we don't, I don't believe COVID's going away anytime soon, especially by the time we graduate. So, uh, yeah, but just a, just a question and to keep in mind for students who are listening and who are going to be going on clinical rotations within the next year, that's just, um, to be aware of, but we talked about, um, we talked about so much and it was just amazing so far, but if you had, um, one piece of advice to give to current students, what would it be? I think just honestly, just trust your gut. Like I know we all leave PT school, you know, a little frustrated that we don't feel like we have all the tools and we're not going to be the best clinicians and we're not going to be experts or whatever, but we honestly have the tools. We do. We have the critical thinking skills. We have the interpersonal skills and we know how to go and look through our books. Like if you have the textbooks, if you have your notes, you know how to do a literature search you have the tools to do this. The hands-on skills and all of that will come. And, you know, I genuinely do believe that. And just trust in, you know, if you're seeing something that doesn't look normal, you know, advocate for your patients. Remember why you wanted to be a physical therapist and the reason why we're in this incredible profession. Just, you know, just how you study for any other test. This is, take this as, you know, a patient case and go search through the literature, go search through your notes and you'll find that information there. And if not, you know, that's an opportunity for you to grow. Just really, you know, trust in yourself, trust in your knowledge. It's going to continue to grow. I definitely don't know everything yet. Not even like a sliver. And I, I think that we do have the tools to contribute to a medical team in whatever setting. And even if it's not, you know, COVID in the acute care setting and you're not seeing this as a student, there are going to be ramifications from COVID, whether it's decon actual deconditioning or the symptoms of long COVID, and you're going to see that in an outpatient facility and treating those patients just like you would treat any other outpatient patients and how you're going to look for, you know, protocols or CPGs or anything like that. Like, you know how to look for that stuff. We, we all do. And you, that's just another challenge that we're going to be lifelong learners and you can do it. <laughs> go at it from a perspective of, you know, being humble and always go home and reflect at everything that you're learning and just have that genuine appreciation and for being in this field. And I think we're just going to, we'll thrive. We'll be good. Y'all <laughs> like we can do this. <laughs> we got this. <laughs> and for the students who are like, man, I want to reach out to this person. Where should they be reaching out to you? Um, I think Instagram is probably the best place. I'm trying to think of my handle. I think it's Jessica Ruiz dot SPT. Um, I think that's my handle. And then my email, you can also reach out to me is jessica.ruiz, and that's spelled R-U-I-Z, at samuelmerritt.edu. And I'd be happy to answer any questions or, you know, go on a discussion about this stuff. I, I love meeting other PT students and just, you know, talking about everyone's experiences. So I'd love to hear, talk to anybody else out there. And we know students will be reaching out and we are really excited and for any feedback. So if you guys are listening to this and you want to share, we would love to hear any of your experiences in clinic and share it out because it's really important. Like Jessica said, it's really important just to have these conversations and we're excited to see where the rest of uh, your next clinical rotation takes you. Oof, let's see. Hopefully it's not so much of tearing at my heartstrings as this time did, but <laughs> I'm excited. It's going to be a, a, an interesting experience being in a totally different setting. So it's a new challenge and I'm excited.
We're so excited for you. And thank you so much for coming on today. And we look forward to hearing everyone's feedback. Will do. Thanks for having me, you too. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Gratitude. We would absolutely love to hear your biggest takeaway from this episode and share it out on all of the social media platforms and tag us so we can see it. And if you like our show, the best thing you could do is to take a minute to write a review to help us get this out to more students like you to shift the narrative away from stress and broke SPT.